0: Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yatkowski, read by Ineash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Part 5 of Chapter 86, Multiple Hypothesis Testing. Hypothesis, Severus Snape, April 8th, 1992, 9.03 p.m. Harry and Professor McGonagall now stood on the slowly turning stairs, turning without descending. Or at least one Harry stood upon those stairs. His other three selves had been left behind in the headmaster's office. Can I ask you a private question? Harry said when he thought they were far enough away not to be heard. And in particular, private from the headmaster? Yes, Professor McGonagall said, not quite sighing.
1: Though I hope you realize that I cannot do anything, which conflicts with my duties.
0: Yes, that's exactly what I need to ask you about. In front of the Wizengamot, when Lucius Malfoy was saying that Hermione was no part of House Potter and that he wouldn't take the money, you told Hermione how to swear that oath. I want to know if something like that comes up again, if your first duty is to the Hogwarts student Hermione Granger or to the head of the Order of the Phoenix, Albus Dumbledore. Professor McGonagall looked like someone had hit her in the face with a cast-iron frying pan a few minutes earlier, and now she'd been told that somebody was about to do it again, and not to flinch. Harry flinched a little himself. Somewhere along the line, he needed to pick up the knack of not phrasing things to hit as hard as he possibly could. The walls rotated around them, behind them, and somehow they descended.
1: Oh, Mr. Potter,
0: Professor McGonagall said with a low exhalation.
1: I wish you wouldn't ask me such questions. Oh, Harry, I wasn't thinking then, not at all. I only saw a chance to help Miss Granger, and I was sorted into Gryffindor, after all.
0: You've got a chance to think now. It was all coming out wrong, but he had to say it anyway, because... I'm not asking you to be loyal to me, but if you do know... If you are sure, what you'll do if it comes down to an innocent Hogwarts student versus the Order of the Phoenix a second time? But Professor McGonagall shook her head.
1: I'm not sure. I don't know if it was the right choice even then. I'm sorry. I can't decide such awful things.
0: But you'll do something if it happens again. Indecision is also a choice. You can't just imagine having to make an immediate decision? No, Professor McGonagall said, sounding a little stronger, and Harry realized that he'd accidentally offered a way out. The professor's next words confirmed Harry's fears.
1: Such a dreadful choice as that, Mr. Potter? I think I should not make it until I must.
0: Harry gave an internal sigh. He supposed he had no right to expect Professor McGonagall to say anything else. In a moral dilemma where you lost something either way, making the choice would feel bad either way, so you could temporarily save yourself a little mental pain by refusing to decide. At the cost of not being able to plan anything in advance, and at the cost of incurring a huge bias toward inaction or waiting until too late. But you couldn't expect a witch to know all that. All right... Though it wasn't right at all, not really. Dumbledore might want that debt removed. Professor Corll would also want Harry out of that debt. And if the defense professor was David Monroe, or could convincingly appear to be David Monroe, then Lord Voldemort technically hadn't exterminated the House of Monroe. In which case, somebody might be able to pass a wizengamot resolution revoking the noble status of House Potter which had been granted for avenging the most ancient house of Monroe. In which case, Hermione's vow of service to a noble house might be null and void. Or maybe not. Harry didn't know anything about the legalities, especially not whether House Potter got the money back if someone managed to send Hermione to Azkaban. Just because you lost something might not mean the payment was returned, legally speaking. Harry wasn't sure, and he didn't dare ask a magical solicitor. It would have been nice to be able to trust at least one adult to take Hermione's side instead of Dumbledore's if an issue like that threatened to come up. The stairs they were upon ceased rotating, and they were before the backs of the great stone gargoyles, which rumbled aside, revealing the hallway. Harry stepped out. A hand caught at Harry's shoulder.
1: Mr. Potter, why did you tell me to keep watch over Professor Snape?
0: Harry turned around again.
1: You told me to keep watch and see if he changed. Why did you say that, Mr. Potter?
0: It took a moment, at this point, for Harry to think back and remember why he had said that. Harry and Neville had rescued Lesoth Lestrange from bullies, and then Harry had confronted Severus in the hallway and, at least according to the Potions Master's own words, Almost died. I learned something that made me worry, Harry said after a moment, from someone who made me promise not to tell anyone else. Severus had made Harry swear that their conversation wouldn't be shared with anyone, and Harry was still bound by it. Mr. Potter, began Professor McGonagall, and then exhaled, the flash of sharpness disappearing as quickly as it had come.
1: Never mind. If you cannot say, you cannot say.
0: Why do you ask? Professor McGonagall seemed to hesitate. All right, let me be more specific. After Professor Quirrell had done it to him several times, Harry was starting to get the hang of it. What change have you already observed in Professor Snape that you're trying to decide whether to tell me about? Harry, I obviously know something you don't. See, this is why we can't always put off trying to decide our awful moral dilemmas. Professor McGonagall closed her eyes, drew in a deep breath, pinched the bridge of her nose, and squeezed it several times.
1: All right. It's a subtle thing, but worrying. How can I put this? Mr. Potter, have you read many books that young children are not meant to read?
0: I've read all of them.
1: Of course you have. Well... I don't quite understand it myself, but for so long as Severus has been employed in this school, stalking about in that awful stained cloak, there has been a certain sort of girl that stares at him with longing eyes.
0: You say that like it's a bad thing? I mean, if there's one thing I did understand from those books, it's that you're not supposed to question people's preferences. Professor McGonagall gave Harry a very strange look. I mean, from what I've read, when I'm a bit older, there's something like a 10% chance that I'll find Professor Snape attractive. And the important thing is for me to just accept whatever I... In any case, Mr. Potter,
1: Severus has always been entirely indifferent to the stares of those young girls. But now...
0: Professor McGonagall seemed to realize something, and hastily said, her hands rising and warding...
1: Please don't mistake me, Professor Snape certainly has not taken advantage of any young witches. Absolutely not! He's never even so much as smiled at one. Not that I ever heard. He has told the young girls to stop gaping at him. And if they stare at him regardless, he looks away. That I have seen with my own eyes.
0: Um, sorry, but just because I've read those books doesn't mean I understood them. What does all that mean? That he
1: is noticing It is a subtle thing, but now that I have seen it, I am certain. And that means, I am very much afraid, that the bond which held Severus to Albus's cause may have weakened, or even broken.
0: Two plus two equals... Snape and Dumbledore? Then Harry heard the words that had just come out of his mouth, and hastily added, Not that there's anything wrong with that. No! Oh, for
1: pity's sake. I can't explain it to you, Mr. Potter.
0: The other shoe finally dropped. He was still in love with my mother? This seemed somewhere between beautifully sad and pathetic. For around five seconds before the third shoe dropped. Of course, that was before I gave him my helpful relationship advice. I see, Harry said carefully after a few moments. There were times when saying oops didn't fully cover it. You're right, that's not a good sign. Professor McGonagall put both hands over her face.
1: Whatever you're thinking right now, which I assure you is also wrong, I don't want to hear about it,
0: ever. So, if... Like you said, the bond that held Professor Snape to the Headmaster has broken. What would he do then? There was a long silence. What would he do then? Minerva lowered her hands, gazing down at the upturned face of the boy who lived. One simple question shouldn't have caused her so much dismay. She'd known Severus for years, the two of them bound in some strange way by the prophecy they'd both heard. Though Minerva suspected, from what she knew of the rules of prophecy, that she had only overheard it herself. It had been Severus's acts which had brought about the prophecy's fulfilment. And the guilt, the heartbreak, which had come of that choice had been tormenting the potions master for years. She couldn't imagine who Severus would be without it. Her mind went blank, trying to imagine, her thoughts an empty parchment. Surely Severus was no longer the man he'd once been, that angry and terribly foolish young man who'd brought the prophecy before Voldemort in exchange for being admitted into the Death Eaters. She'd known him for years, and surely Severus was no longer that man. Did she really know him at all? Had anyone ever seen the real Severus Snape? I don't know, Professor McGonagall finally said.
1: I truly don't know at all. I can't even imagine. Do you know anything of this, Mr. Potter?
0: Eh, I think I can say that my own evidence points in the same direction as yours. I mean, it increases the probability that Professor Snape isn't in love with my mother anymore. Professor McGonagall closed her eyes. I give up. I don't know of anything wrong he's done apart from that, though. I assume the headmaster cleared you to ask me about this. Professor McGonagall looked away from him, staring at the wall.
1: Please don't, Harry.
0: All right, Harry said, and turned and hurried out into the hallways hearing Professor McGonagall more slowly walking after, and the rumbling sound of the gargoyles moving into place. It was the morning after next, during potions class, that Harry's potion of cold resistance boiled over his cauldron with a green froth and mildly nauseating smell, and Professor Snape, looking more resigned than disgusted, told Harry to stay after class. Harry had his own suspicions about this affair, and as soon as class let out, Hermione, as usual for the last few days, being the first to flee out the door, the door swung shut and locked behind the departing students.
2: I apologize for ruining your potion, Mr. Potter.
0: There was upon his face the strange, sad look that Harry had seen only once before, in a hallway some time ago.
2: It will not be reflected in your grades. Please... Sit down.
0: Harry sat back down at his desk, filling up the time by scrubbing a bit more at the green stain on the wooden surface as the potions master encanted a few privacy spells. When the potions master was done, he spoke again.
2: I do not know how to broach this topic, Mr. Potter, so I will simply say it. Before the Dementor, you recovered your memory of the nights your parents died. Harry silently nodded. If... I know it must not be a pleasant memory, but if you could tell me what happened...
0: Why? His voice was solemn, definitely not mocking the pleading look that Harry had never expected to see from that person. I wouldn't think that would be a pleasant thing for you to hear either, Professor. The Potions Master's voice was almost a whisper.
2: I have imagined it every night these last ten years. You know, said Harry Slytherin's side,
0: it might not be such a good idea to give him closure if his guilt-based loyalties are already wavering. Shut up, overruled. It wasn't something that Harry could actually bring himself to deny. He took one suggestion from his Slytherin side, and that was it. Will you tell me exactly how you came to learn about the prophecy? I'm sorry to make this a trade, I will tell you afterward, only it could be really important.
2: There is little to say. I had come to be interviewed by the Deputy Headmistress for the position of Potions Master, and so I was waiting outside the room of the Hogshead Inn when the applicant before me, Sybil Trelawney, came to seek the position of Professor of Divination. As soon as Trelawney finished speaking her words, I fled, forsaking my chance at Hogwarts Mastery, and went to the Dark Lord.
0: The Potions Master's face was drawn and tight.
2: I did not even pause to consider why that riddle might have come to me before I sold it to another. A job
0: interview? Where you and Professor Trelawney both happened to be applying, and Professor McGonagall was interviewing? That seems... Like rather a large coincidence.
2: Seers are the pawns of time, Mr. Potter. Coincidence is beneath them, and they are above it. I was the one meant to hear that prophecy and become its fool. Minerva's presence made no final difference to how it came about. There were no memory charm, as you supposed. I do not know why you thought that. But there was no memory charm. There could have been no memory charm. The voice of a seer has a quality, an enigma which even legitimacy cannot share. How could that be imbued in a false memory? Do you think the Dark Lord would believe my mere words? The Dark Lord seized my mind and saw the mystification there, even if he could not seize the mystery, and so he knew the prophecy had been true. The Dark Lord could have killed me then, having taken what he wanted. I was a fool indeed to go to him. But he saw something in me I do not know and took me into the Death Eaters, though on his terms rather than mine. That is how I brought it about, brought it all about from the beginning to the end, always my own doing.
0: Severus's voice had gone rather hoarse, and his face was filled with naked pain.
2: Now tell me, please, how did Lily die?
0: Harry swallowed twice and began his recounting. James Potter shouted for Lily to run away with me, that he would hold off you-know-who. You-know-who said... Harry stopped, the chills going all over his own skin, his own muscles tightening as if in preparation for a seizure. The memory was returning strongly now, accompanied by cold and dark in association. He used... the killing curse. And then he came upstairs somehow. I think he must have flown... I don't remember any footsteps on stairs or anything like that. And then my mother said, No, not Harry. Please not Harry. Or something like that. And the Dark Lord, his voice was so high, cold. The Dark Lord said,
2: Step aside, woman. For you I am not come. Only the boy.
0: The words were very clear in Harry's memory. He told my mother to get out of the way that he was only there for me. And my mother begged him to have mercy, and the Dark Lord said, I give you this rare chance to flee. That he was being generous and giving her a chance to run, but he wouldn't bother fighting her, and even if she died, she couldn't save me, and so she ought to get out of his way. And that was when my mother begged the Dark Lord to take her life instead of mine. And the Dark Lord, the Dark Lord said to her, And his voice was lower this time, like he was dropping a pose. Very well. I accept the bargain. He said that he accepted her offer, and that she should drop her wand so he could kill her. And then the Dark Lord waited. Just waited. I... I don't know what Lily Potter was thinking. It hadn't even made sense in the first place, what she said. It wasn't like the Dark Lord would kill her and then just leave when he'd come there for me. Lily Potter didn't say anything. And then the Dark Lord started laughing at her, and it was horrible, and... And she finally tried the only thing left that wasn't abandoning me or just giving up and dying. I don't know if she even could have, if the spell would have worked for her, but when you think about it, she had to try. The last thing my mother said was "Evadaka," but the Dark Lord started his own curse as soon as she said "Av," and he said it in less than half a second. And there was a flash of green light, and then, and then,
2: and then. That's enough.
0: Slowly, like a body floating to the surface of water, Harry returned from wherever he'd been.
2: That's enough. She died. Lily died without pain, then. The Dark Lord did not do anything to her before she died.
0: She died thinking that she'd failed, and that the Dark Lord was going to kill her baby next. That's pain. The Dark Lord didn't torture her, if that's what you're asking. Behind Harry, the door unlocked itself and swung open. (coughs) Harry left. It was Friday, April 10th of 1992. End Chapter 86 Thank you to the following people.
2: Voldemort, Stephen Zuer Severus Snape by Brian Jones
1: Minerva McGonagall, read by Autumn Rachel Dryden
0: This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is Catch That Goblin by Skaven. Thank you for listening, and come back next week for the first half of Chapter 87, Hedonic Awareness.